Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Commander Chakotay informs me there's a new hollow novel. Has become quite popular among the crew. It's been accessed 47 times by 33 different crew members. I don't suppose anyone here is familiar with what we're talking about. Um, actually, uh, Captain, I'm the one who found it on the auxiliary database. I've been running it, too. Anybody else? Well, I just returned from the Delta Quadrant and uh, sat down and decided I should read a book. And, you know, I wanted to read a book about somebody who's also had an experience in the Delta Quadrant, and that is Captain Catherine Janeway. So welcome, everyone, to Positively Trek. I'm Bruce Gibson, and with me, as he always is when we read books, especially, is Dan Gunther. How you doing? Not too bad. Have you have you read about this Tuvix guy? I feel like there's more to this story. This 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 is weird. I don't know. It's a weird thing, and I think even Janeway's still struggling with that. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, because Janeway wrote an autobiography, but it's weird because. When you say autobiography, doesn't that mean that it's the person who's in the book wrote the book, right? Yep, that's like so. Janeway wrote the book. Absolutely, yeah. Written by it's her autobiography. Yep, Catherine Janeway, Admiral okay. at, at Starfleet, has written this book. Yep. Then why do we have Una McCormick on the show? <laughs> <laughs> Well, her fantastic editing skills, of course. She's she's edited this, right? That's true. That's right. Hi, Una. How you doing? I'm doing fine. The reason you have me on is that I'll just talk to anyone. <laughs> we we tried to reach out to the Admiral, but I, I guess her schedule's full. Something about negotiations. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not sure. And she's very busy, very famous. So you know, you just you'll just have to make do with the help. <laughs> Well, we're so glad to have you on the show. Uh, we've been waiting for this book for a while. We heard about it, I don't know, a year or so ago, and the date seemed to move a couple of times, I think. And uh, But we want to get right down into it because, yes, you worked with Catherine Janeway to write this autobiography. You helped her edit it. I did. We had some lovely times. Yeah, I sort of transported over to her office and uh, we drank a lot of coffee. We had a lot of laughs. There's, there's things you'll never see on the page. So. <laughs> but uh, but yes, I, I am the editor of the autobiography of uh, Catherine Janeway. So uh, uh, and that was a, it was a fun conceit. Uh, uh, and it, it, it was a nice way to write the book, I think, because um, I, it, I did sort of imagine myself sitting with her and, uh, you know, a cup of coffee between us and, and laughing about things and hearing that voice. It's in first person. So it, it did feel like a conversation. That's a very enjoyable way to write. So, uh, so yeah. So have you ever written a book in first person before? And how was that experience? Oh, uh, I have written, I have, I have written uh, fan fiction novels in first person. So uh, I have written novels, but, but not um, professionally published. And um, uh, first person, I think, is, uh, comes extremely naturally. I think I've, I've said this a lot, but I have a very auditory imagination. I, I hear voices 
much more easily than imagine voices much more easily than I do imagine settings or description. Um, so once I get into the rhythm or the pattern of a voice, it, it's really quite straightforward uh, to write. And Janeway, um, as played by uh, Kate Mulgrew, has this extremely distinctive voice, a real personality. And so once you get into the pattern and the rhythm of that, it it just sort of it sort of writes itself. It did feel like I was, you know, had the voice there. I was having a conversation with her. Garrick does that sometimes as well. <laughs> Quite a lot, actually. <laughs> well, I definitely have to say, reading this, like I, I think I would say more so than the the previous autobiographies we've had, which were were also very good. But, but this one, I think more than any, like I definitely heard the character's voice coming through. Like I could see, uh, Catherine Janeway sitting and and just relating this story. Like it, re- you really channeled her voice very well. Oh, thank you, thank you. Well, that's what you're aiming to do. You want to? I know people come to these books and um, people have very a very, you know, they love these characters. They've grown up with them or they've um, watched the show again and again. They, we have really intense relationships with them, um, you know, our imaginary friends. I know what I'm like with Garrick and Faramir. Um, so uh, you know that this is a character that's going to mean a great deal to people. So you don't want to get it wrong because you're spoiling their fun and you don't want to spoil people's fun. You want them to have fun. So, um, so I'm glad she comes across. Good. Is there ever a point when you're writing this because you're so into it and you're thinking that that you are Catherine Janeway? It's almost like you're an actress, like you're portraying this character, but you're doing it on the written page. And then the phone rings and you answer it, Catherine Janeway. <laughs> <laughs> Under no circumstances could I be confused with Catherine Janeway, a uh, courageous, outgoing uh, person who enjoys being at great heights. <laughs> there is, there is no way. Whereas I am a timid, bookish, near. You know, I just don't leave the house if I can help it. Uh, in no way can I be confused with Catherine <laughs> Janeway in in any way. But um, but mimicry is uh, uh, mimicry and playing a part is uh, a large part of writing. I mean, it's having said that, it's it's not like acting because actors are. Um, uh, I, I've, I've done lots of audio drama and things and uh, you, you put words down on a page and you think, oh, that's a bit shonky. And then you turn up to the recording studio and the, the actor has done incredible imaginative work. And you go, wow, that's, you're a magician. I don't know how you got that out of my, quite frankly, third rate line. But um, I, I think maybe there are, there are certain um, aspects of the creativity that are similar, that kind of deep immersion. Um, I, I don't know how actors do it. It, it's the physical performance of it. I think you see their the body shift and their voices alter. And I don't have to do anything. I just have to sit at my desk like this. <laughs> so, um, but it is, it is a kind of um, impersonation or immersion, I think would be the closest thing. So um, I, I immersed myself uh, with Catherine rather than as Catherine, I think. Um, so that sense of us sitting down was really very strong. What's nice with Catherine Janeway is that I'm sitting opposite her having a conversation, whereas with Garrick, it's somebody tapping your shoulder, (laughs) (laughs) coming up behind you and whispering in your ear, which is a little bit more disconcerting. (laughs) Well, we've had previous autobiographies, as Dan mentioned. We had Kirk and Picard that David Goodman worked on. So how did you end up getting this assignment to do the Janeway book? I think they wanted a woman, and I'm a woman. (laughs) (laughs) 
so they they kind of came to me and uh, i think there's only there's there's only room uh, i think of writing the novels at the moment obviously lots of women have written star trek novels um there's there's me and uh kirsten at the moment kirsten obviously has done a lot of voyager novels um but is busy with with the show uh so uh i think i think that, that was why the they came to me. This was the first woman captain, and that I, I, you know, I don't know if you guys remember that was a really big deal. Casting a woman, you know, the studio were coming down and looking at it. Has is this going to misfire? It's incredible to think of now. Really, you wouldn't you wouldn't give it a second thought. But that's how high the stakes were, and so I think we wanted to honour that in some way. Uh, Titan wants to honour that in some way. So they uh, they wanted a woman, uh, and and I am one, and <laughs> <laughs> one that writes Star Trek. So you know, uh, several boxes ticked. So, um, so I, th- I think that's it. Also, also I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm not a bad writer. So I think they thought, you know, <laughs> I could probably, oh, she'll, she won't be rubbish. So, um, so I think that was the reason because, because, um, I don't think I've written any Voyager before. It's all been, um, Deep Space Nine and, and Next Gen, uh, which are really my, you know, the, my, my, the, the shows I've, I've kind of written with, written for Disco and Picard as well, but, but Deep Space Nine chiefly. Uh, yes. Yeah, so my first foray into Voyager. Yeah. So going back to something you said about Catherine Janeway, and, and I, I, I really want to drill down on this because I, I think you're right. I think a lot of people today forget what a big deal Catherine Janeway was to the Star Trek universe and to television in general, even just having a, a, a woman lead captain starship commander you know it's a de- it was definitely a big deal. I remember at the time Voyager was coming out and uh, you know, we're we're before the time of social media, so you don't see the most toxic of toxic things, but you still got an inkling of that aspect of people, you know, oh, woman driver, you know, all the all the stupid stuff that people say about women. And uh, yeah, I, I think like I agree with you, it's very important to have a woman's voice, a strong woman who can write another strong woman in this case. So did you feel any kind of extra, I don't want to say pressure, but like, you know, just motivation to really get this right, given the kind of importance of the character? Oh, yes. And I, I, I yeah, definitely. Yes, definitely. Actually, I, re- I really wanted to get this right because um, because of how hard it had been and because of how fantastic she is. And, uh, you know, it's a real case of that thing of, um, uh, you know, Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers and having to do everything he does but backwards and in high heels you know you really felt Kate Mulgrew really really had to um go that extra mile make it that extra brilliant so I really did want the book to be good you want the book to be good anyway but I really wanted it to I wanted it to sparkle I wanted it to to feel like Janeway I wanted it to feel celebratory uh, of 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 the program of of that character of what that character has meant of the kind of victory of that character in a way uh, you know that that now we can turn on discovery and you know the the first um, the first episode of discovery is is two women walking along for absolutely ages having a chat you know that's incredible that's amazing I can still you can count the episodes of Deep Space Nine where that happens on one hand you can't episodes of, ne- of Next Gen where that happens on one hand and yet there it is on screen and uh, shows like this really, really started that. So yes, it, that was important to me to kind of draw that line between where we were and where we are now. And I think to remind people that that it's not that long ago that, you know, people were having to fight these battles. Um, and it's uh, it's worth remembering that because it's it's easy to forget 
uh, where we were and how far we've we've come. Uh, and um, I was there when you know <laughs> the great internet battles of '99 started. This kind of thing. So um, so yeah yeah it was very important. That, that was at the back of my mind throughout. But most of all. I wanted it to feel celebratory because it was the anniversary mm. and celebrate that show and her and that character and that actor. So, um, yeah. Well, we're going to get into spoilers. So if anyone hasn't read the book, you may not want to listen to the rest of this. Or if you haven't read the book, <laughs> you may want to listen to this because you just might want to, I think, go read the book or whatever you want to do. It's up to you guys. So hopefully you've read the book. So I want to touch on one real quick theme here that I saw thread throughout the whole book, and that is the Wizard of Oz of Dorothy. So tell us about that thread about there's no place like home. Well, whenever I write uh, any book I write, I'm usually uh, at the back of my mind, I'm usually in a sort of vague conversation with another book. Uh, and this seemed ideal. Uh, you know, it's uh, it, 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 exactly what happens to Dorothy, isn't it? She gets spirited off, uh, flung a far distance. She can't get back by any way that she understands, but she yearns to get back. Uh, and along the way, she uh, sort of creates a, a family of um, offbeat oddballs, uh, and they come on the journey with her, and uh, she discovers the their, their, their qualities and their strengths and their foibles. And this seems very uh, similar uh, to, to Voyager. So um, this was sort of in the back of my mind. Um, it, it's helpful, I think, when you're writing, as you're writing a book, to always have a kind of a few touchstones you can go back to and think, what, what's the story I'm trying to tell here? What's the kind of emotional core? And that yearning to be home, whatever home means, because that can change through your life. Um, that that was what I kept on coming back to. Uh, so Wizard of Oz was very, very, very helpful, I think. And then it gave me other, I think once you touch on something like that, it gives you other ideas like um, making her mother a, a children's writer or um, that sort of thing. You kind of, you, you then go into other things and start to explore them or expand them. Um, so, so that was what I tried to do with Wizard of Oz and put the pop-up book in. So my, my daughter has a beautiful um pop-up book of, of Wizard of Oz. So get things like that in. They just start to, as soon as you've got something simple like that, I find your novel starts to populate itself with with ideas and expansions and thematic variations. So um, so that's good old Wizard of Oz. Helped me a great deal. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. Elements like that pop-up book that you mentioned, a lot of those little small details really make this feel very real. Like we're, we're reading the writings of, of a, of a real live person. Was there a particular favorite from, from Janeway's early life here that, that you incorporated that really means something deep, deep and special to you? Um, my favorite bit is where she lists, um, her childhood reading. Um, so she and her sister, uh, uh, list the books that they read. And I went to some trouble about this, um, because I know that, um, uh, I've had many conversations with people uh, where you're trying to come up with a sort of children's canon for American um, children's books. Uh, and people go immediately go to things like Little House on the Prairie. And then and then sort of the indigenous people in the room go, do you know what? Maybe not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I really I really sat and thought hard about what I wanted the future canon of those children's books to be. 
so I, I I went off and researched, uh, uh, trying to make it as diverse as possible from from books that already exist, um, books that I do love. Um, so the Melendi books are in there, for example, the Elizabeth Enright ones. And then I had a lot of fun just making up some as well. <laughs> what what would be future classics? <laughs> uh, so and hopefully it's kind of seamless. Uh, you sort of uh, you you feel that these could all be these could all be uh, genuine childhood classics when Catherine Janeway will be growing up. Um, so that's that's a bit I'm I'm very proud of. So I I worked quite hard to sort of come up with an an American canon, uh, children's canon that I thought would exist in this future. Um, that that everyone would have you know be able to pick it up and feel that they could participate in that it wasn't excluding them or um they weren't part of it in some way so that's a bit i'm very proud of and it's just a, a paragraph or something it's a few throwaway lines so i don't know if anyone notices um but i care <laughs> so i put it in <laughs> absolutely and, and it, it's the it's the typical star trek list right you have a few like real world ones and, and then like the made-up ones that come later that you know make it feel in universe so Star Trek has that long tradition exactly of doing that. that. <laughs> exactly that. So I thought I'd have my go. I've made up a lot of Cardassian literature, but I thought <laughs> now I'd make up some some human literature for a change. <laughs> so in her early life, how did you come up with some of the concepts? Besides just what was inspired from the show, you had to weave in other things like her relationship with her family, uh, how she dealt with the death of her father, her past loves her passion for science and Starfleet. Did you take from some of your experiences and put them into Janeway? Oh, not at all. No, I, like I say, I'm completely, I'm completely unlike her. So um, it's quite interesting. Lots and lots of little throwaway lines in the mm-hmm. show. So uh, as, as always, uh, when you're writing a book like this, you've got memory alpha open. Uh, and because some lovely person has gone to the trouble of uh, listing all this stuff for you. So you kind of look at that and then you think, well, what, what's, what, this this is a load of facts, and I guess this comes from me doing a, a history degree. Is that I, you know, you'd be confronted with a load of facts, and then you go, "Well, what's actually the the, the lived story behind this? Uh, behind these small details?" And you start to weave something around that. Uh, and what I got a sense of was, um, and we struggle with this actually because we we worried if it was uh, dramatically not exciting enough. I, I always I just got a sense of a very very happy, tightly knit. Uh, secure family, um, which is um, it, perhaps not dramatically very exciting, but is is charming in it in its own way. I, I never feel that. Um, I mean, Catherine struggles. Obviously, she's in a she's in a difficult situation. She's in command. She's quite lonely. Um, but I always feel there's a sort of bedrock of certainty and um, confidence. And that's the kind of thing you get from really good parenting. <laughs> so I sort of, um, I, I felt like they, uh, her parents were very, were very solid and that the sadnesses came from perhaps her, her father being away a lot because he's, he's a, he's a career Starfleet person. Um, but that there would be a sort of tight knit grandparent group around that. Uh, and then I think the real tensions come from her sister being slightly better. <laughs> And what she does. So her sister's sort of an artist, isn't she? And uh, is younger, but somehow always manages to steal Catherine's thunder. Um, and I think that's quite funny. If you if you take someone who's a real, um, 
you know, in the future that we imagine, Catherine would be a megastar, you know, absolute megastar. And yet behind this is always a sense that her baby sister <laughs> is slightly better than her and everything. I find that, I really find that very funny. So, um, so I'd sort of, uh, and, and that's, the, that's the tension I, that kind of, that kind of tight knit family, it can also be quite, um, uh, uh, pressure cooker, you know, that maybe the steam needs to, a valve needs to be let loose. So that's the kind of tensions we wait, we went for. And it's not big trauma, but it matters. It matters when you're, 12 or 14. Um, so you've got to make the stakes appropriate for the, the age of the person, I think. And I think battles against her own perfectionism, her own, um, <clears throat> competitive nature. So she, she storms out of a ten- tennis match, doesn't she? And uh, she doesn't like losing, she discovers. So, uh, and, and very, very, um, gifted, uh, uh, people who excel can be very like that. Failure is an extremely difficult, thing for them to navigate if you it, it it's almost the hardest thing for very smart kids to learn isn't it that that they 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 can get to the age of maybe 10 11 12 and nothing really has gone wrong and then something does go wrong and it's a devastating you know it's a real shock and it can knock really smart kids you know off their course for years actually um i saw it a lot when i was, I, I taught at cambridge for a while and you would see it with sort of 19-year-olds coming up who had always been this kid. Um, and then they arrived at a university where everyone else was just a tiny bit smarter. And it was a real blow. You would get a lot of depression and um, unhappiness. Um, so I thought these were risks for Catherine that I really wanted to explore. And whilst they're not exploding spaceships, uh, I think they are quite quite human because we were trying to track the story of, of who that where that woman came from. What would be the making of that woman who was commanding that vessel? Uh, and I love that kind of thing. I love nosing into people's backgrounds. <laughs> yeah. I love that you weren't so dramatic, like you're saying, with the family, because as I was reading it, I kept thinking, okay, what's going to happen? There's going to be something with this family, something wrong, something devastating. I don't know. And I just kept waiting for it. And it just seemed like a, she had real solid ground with this family that she had the support and the love there. And I really enjoyed that because I do feel like so many times I read stories and there's always something wrong. And in this case, there really wasn't. I mean, it's not perfect, but it, it was a solid foundation. Mm-hmm. And the blow comes when her father dies, right. which is a, yeah, and and that's that's the big kind of blow I'm talking about, and and um, and she's in her what, in her early twenties. She's at the academy, isn't she? A little bit later, a little bit later, and and that's devastating. That that absolutely knocks her. You know, she folds in um, because there hasn't been an emotional blow like that. Uh, and the older you get, I think the you don't you don't want it to happen too young because that's uh, devastating in its own way. Um, but I think the older you get, the harder it is to navigate. Um, uh, things like that. So it comes at a bad age for her, I think. A uh, little bit older, you're, you're a little bit, you've, you've got a little bit more sense of the kind of ebb and flow of life. Um, but that kind of age, it's a, it's a massive shock to her. And he's quite young and he's, he's, she's his favorites. Yeah. The way the family dynamic works is sort of, you know, she's his favorite. Phoebe's the mother's favorite. So it kind of tilts the family balance. And if that's your bedrock, um, then, then that's a big shake. Isn't it amazing that we're talking about a science fiction book? We're talking about all the, all the interfer- This could be a sort of kitchen sink drama or a soap or something. I love doing this. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. 
Yeah, no. But they're also spaceships, listeners. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll definitely get there for sure. Um, I I do love these formative events for her as well, though. Like, I'm so glad you brought up her storming out of the tennis match because it's so vivid, that image of her walking and then it starts pouring rain. And it's just like I could see that being such a a vivid memory in Janeway's mind as as she realized this is where, you know, I could have gone left or right. And and this was one of those true crossroads. And, you know, she's embarrassed at the way she behaves. She behaves appallingly. So (laughs) it was a much longer scene. You had every point. I wrote almost every point. I mean, I said, we don't need every point. We do, we must have every point, every agonizing point we shall have. Anyway, we, we trimmed it back just to get to the heart, which is obviously the right decision. But uh, but yeah, she behaves really badly, <laughs> <laughs> which is good to see, I think. She's not perfect. Janeway isn't, isn't perfect. She's very human. Yeah, I, th- I think back to those moments in my life, and I think we all have them, where you're in the middle of going, you're around, about your day-to-day stuff and you remember something really embarrassing you did like 10 years ago and you just stop and your face gets flushed and you're like cold sweat of shame <laughs> yeah, and you <laughs> remember every single moment of it oh yeah yeah that's exactly what i read then then she's having to in, in you know fictional world she's recounting this to me over coffee yeah <laughs> <laughs> And I also like the way you introduced the, her relationship with Tuvok, that it wasn't perfect at first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's little, he he uh, he calls her out, doesn't he, for a, a minor breach of uh, security, doesn't she's, she's a bit, I could I could see that one of her other, I, I could imagine, again, with high flyers, and I kind of posit that she she's one of these people who skips a grade and, and gets into the academy earlier, that you get a bit cocky, yeah. Uh, so you've done very well. You've always been good. You've worked extra hard. You've achieved this thing. Yeah, your annoying younger sister does a little bit better, but you know, <laughs> um, but always been high flying, always excellent, and and that that can make you cocky. Uh, and and I imagine, I imagine a lot of what um, uh, lieutenant commanders have to do on spaceships is uh, rub the corners off cocky ensigns. <laughs> <laughs> Basically what you're spending, oh, here they come. They're, they've just in from the academy, right. You know, it's like I remember my, my mother taught primary school and they had a they had a teacher who taught the, the first year, so kind of like the four- and five-year-olds, and she's basically taking them, you know, near feral to <laughs> able, <laughs> able to function as small humans in a, in a non a, a sometimes non-messy way. And I imagine that's what it's like with the new ensigns, you know, oh, here they come. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Turn them into functioning because because most of what you would be doing absolutely uh, would be clearing up the cock ups at the ends. <laughs> I could just see Tuvok looking for something in every ensign to find something that they're doing wrong. It has yeah, to point it out, and, <laughs> and she gives she gives it to yeah. him, and uh, yeah, which is yeah, funny yeah, because yeah. then the roles reverse that he then later starts reporting to her, <laughs> but they become yeah, really good yeah, friends. Yeah, they're better than me. <laughs> And and she she knows he's right. She's yeah. you know she's she's sort of grounded and fair minded enough uh, to know that he's 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 got her. You know she was being cocky. She was being shoddy. She wasn't she wasn't doing it right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he calls her. She doesn't make that mistake again. And she can hate him for a while. Uh, and then realizes that it comes from a sort of you know it's not coming from jobs worth. It comes from solidity and attention to detail uh, and focus. And, um, you know, all the sort of uh, solid things that Vulcans bring to the table. So, uh, so yeah, it's a good start. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I love that scene because uh, I, I 
didn't realize it was Tuvok at first, of course. And then when you realize it is, like, I, I flash back to Janeway mentions this in an episode, right? I think when Tuvok's getting promoted that she says, the first time I met Tuvok, he gave me a dressing down in front of three admirals or something. And I'm like, oh, of course, this is this yeah, brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a gift having those little lines because, you know, that could happen anywhere mm. in her career. Absolutely. And then you think, well, how, how can I slot that in sort of honor that from the canon? Um, but, uh, you know, flesh it out and give it space and make it breathe, you know, um, put, really put those people on the page in that situation because you can see them doing yeah. it. <laughs> and then I, I loved Captain Paris later. So you met, you met Lieutenant Tuvok, huh? Or something. <laughs> Just, I can see that smirk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah. You had to bring that up, didn't you? Yeah. Thanks, Captain. <laughs> <laughs> I got quite fond of him. Yeah. I got quite fond of Captain Paris in his own way. And um, why is that? Um, I, th- I think I, I, I found that relationship of him and Tom really interesting to explore. Uh, uh, cause I'm quite, I'm quite interested in difficult father son relationships. Uh, and it, and it's clear that, um, it's almost like the anti Cisco in a way that, you know, Owen has got these, he's got these hopes pinned on Tom that Tom doesn't really want to fulfill. Um, and, and, uh, Cisco does that with Jake and Jake goes, I don't want to do that. And Cisco goes, Oh, okay. All right. I'm glad, I'm glad you said, I thought you did. And I think Tom never, never kind of gets the courage to say that. And that's why it goes wrong. Um, and, and being in the Delta quadrant, I, I thought it'd be interesting p- to play being in the Delta quadrant, absolutely being the best thing that could ever happen to Tom Paris. Because it gets him away from his father, right. mm. <laughs> out from under the and shadow. And also, yeah. exactly that lets him prove himself, show that he could do all these things, but he wants to do something else. And it's good for Owen too because he it it makes him realise that it's not it's not a Starfleet officer uh, that he wants. It's his son, yeah, whoever that is. Uh, so I enjoyed I enjoyed sort of exploring that. Uh, and then it was fun to sort of have Catherine. Um, I thought, well, she served on the ship. She, she'd probably meet her captain's family and have this kind of sulky little boy. Yeah, that she believed in. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I, you know, surely she would meet the wife and, and meet the kids and that kind of thing, the beef functions and things. So, and you know, it's a proper fan fiction writer's uh, trick, isn't it? Oh, just get them in as kids. <laughs> So, um, so that I loved, I really enjoyed writing about the Parises. They were, um, they were interesting. I think. And, and you would assume based on the show and of course what you wrote in the book that Janeway has a good relationship with Owen Paris and the Parises, but then you kind of have to spice things up a little because life is a little too easy for Catherine Janeway serving under Captain Paris. She's now starting to serve under Captain Neil Ward. Totally different situation there. Tell us about that. Yeah, so it's uh, she gets her big promotion, uh, and she's very excited because she she thinks she's going to be working with a captain uh, that she she admires, uh, and and just as she accepts the promotion and goes on board the ship, uh, the cap the captain she's going to work with is is medically retired, uh, and a new guy comes in, and it's it's a real kind of oh it's it's just a mess because he's he's come in and he's expected to be able to bring all his mates over. No, unfortunately not. Somebody has been appointed already to this plum job. And, oh, isn't it typical? It's an admiral's daughter. Yeah. 
So he he takes against her. He's he's a kind of uh, we've all worked for people like this. You know, he's kind of got his his uh, lieutenants and his his lackeys and this kind of thing, um, and really really resents her connections. Uh, so you you know she she admirals are just people you have hanging around the house. You know, uh, admirals are people that you use as climbing frames. Is sort of thing. <laughs> uh, and and he he resents this. So it 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 it's just misfiring from the start. Um, and um, it, it's one of those things where she starts to, to she's uncertain because she's in a new place. Um, it's going wrong very quickly. She's not got her support team um, yet. She's not got a group of people that she knows. It'd be different if he came in on a ship she'd been on for a while. She'd have a reality check. So she doesn't have a sort of reality check of colleagues and um, uh, makes some mistakes. Uh, and then she gets some very good advice from 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 mentors saying, well, don't, you know, don't let the don't let the grind you down. You know, <laughs> don't let him win. You 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 work you work your way through this. You've 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 earned this position. You've got it. Now. But now you've got to now you've got to show that you can keep it. You, it's not yours by right. It's yours by demonstrating you can do it. So she gets good solid advice, um, and then she gets to do the the thing we all dream of, which is to kind of um, you know quit <laughs> i love that scene yeah 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 tell him, tell him where to stick his lousy ship <laughs> so um so it's all lovely you know we all we all wish we could quit that way i think <laughs> absolutely um it, i i love that you said we've all worked for for that person before because i've got here in the notes captain ward felt very familiar and and <laughs> i have to imagine like all of us have personal experiences that we could that could channel into that story. And I read I, I, um, Ask a Manager a lot. So uh, ah, I, I, yes. I think it's kind of a, an agglomeration of, uh, of, of dreadful managers that I've read. Up there. <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent. I, I want to jump just, just very briefly ahead. And uh, so was there any temptation to bring Captain Ward back at the end of the novel after Janeway's heroically brought her crew home and that sort of thing? Because I, I was I was getting towards the end and I was like, oh, you know, Captain Ward, like I want her to rub it in his face. But <laughs> but then of course I remembered this is her autobiography and that would be the petty thing to do and and she probably wouldn't do that. But was there any ever any temptation to do that? No, out of sight. I never even thought about out of sight. I mind no he's at home sitting in his socks watching all this glory <laughs> <laughs> and i mean that's that's the correct you know yeah, yeah, yeah. don't, no, don't let them live rent free in your door. head right <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. don't <laughs> let the door slam you on the way out some guy yeah so no 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 you get that but that's lovely that you have that in your head a <laughs> <laughs> final revenge no she doesn't really give him a second thought i think he yeah. does all right you know, he's, he's middle management. They always do all right. <laughs> yeah. And and the best revenge is that he's totally forgotten, I think. Yeah, Absolutely. Exactly that, yeah. <laughs> but she's learned a lot from that experience serving for him. I mean, if anything, it seems to me that she would always think as a captain, what should I do? And look at him as to what not to do. Exactly that. That you could, you learn as much from, and, and it's not quite adversity. It, it's not that she's... Uh, it's not that she's her life is under threat or anything like that, but it's it's the sort of daily grind of being in a situation where it's someone you you basically don't get on with, and how you have to cope and deal with that and and manage that. And there must 
must have been, you know, there must have been people on Voyager that she basically didn't like. <laughs> but, but there was no, there was no way past that. You just had to, you, you have to get the ship home. You have to get these people home. You have to be able to to manage those emotions and work around them. And the butt would stop with her. But yes, she's kind of uh, at the back of her mind. She's thinking, what did my good captains do? What kind of ship and camaraderie did they create? And what did my bad captains do? And why did it go wrong? Or why did I feel it uncongenial? Because it's quite possible that, you know, he's writing his own autobiography about, you know, I had this entitled young woman. She seemed to think this role was hers by right. You know, he's there's probably his story as well. I mean, I, I think he's probably a bit of an idiot. But <laughs> <laughs> That's, but, that's but, the impression I got. <laughs> but maybe when he's maybe when she's off the ship, he gets the person that he always wanted, and you know the the whole team slots together, and they're a very successful ship. You never know. <laughs> I suspect not. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever, have you ever seen Shaun of the Dead? Uh, the the yes. movie, yeah. Oh yeah. And you've got them. You've got them kind of shambling along in an adventure, uh, and then you briefly intercut to another group who are. Uh, extremely well organized and kind of marching along you feel like there's another movie happening <laughs> it's a bit like that you know that's voyager then over here is world's ship kind of shambling to the pub <laughs> <laughs> well that would make an interesting novel <laughs> <laughs> so now we get to a point now where we do get janeway as captain of voyager which she got to rub in his face in a sense, in Ward's face. But now we're in the Delta Quadrant on Voyager. This has got to be an interesting time for you in writing the book because now these are stories that have been told. And did you feel as if you wanted to write some new adventures that we hadn't seen on screen? Or did you just really have to stick with what we saw on the show? I think this was, this, is, this is the really tricky thing to sort of negotiate with these books because uh, you're trying to juggle an expectation. People know Janeway from Voyager, so there will be a kind of expectation that that will be covered. At the same time, you don't want it to be synopsis because, you know, you just watch the show. <laughs> right. um, uh, but at the same time, you don't want to go too far off the beaten track because people are going to go, well, I don't remember that. Why is she put, putting all this in? Why does she think this is more interesting than the stuff we know? So... Um, it, I think it's all a question of getting the balance right. There were, we, we, me and the editor, sort of, Cat uh, Camacho is absolutely fantastic. We kind of sat and went, what what are the episodes that we think are absolutely crucial? Because obviously we can't cover everything. What do we think is really crucial? What um, The way we kind of decided it was um, we tried to re- pick episodes that sort of uh, refracted her relationships or the changing relationships of uh, the people on the in the crew. So things that would flag up her her growing uh, relationship with Balana, or her, her her deepening relationship with Seven, or the sort of consistency that Tuvok brings to her life, um, or just you know having to keep an eye on Harry Kim because he's he's very green and he's in denial. These kinds of things. So we we try to sort of pick episodes that were um, that were going to foreground her relationships. I think. And give a sense of uh, give a sense of kind of movement through that journey. So it was a bit of a tricky mixture, and uh, yeah, I hope we got it. Yeah, I think it's it's an interesting paradox because I feel like in universe people buying or or, or 
getting their hands on a Janeway autobiography would be like, what happened in those seven years that she was in the Delta Quadrant on Voyager? Whereas we as the 21st century audience, you know, we, we kind of know all that. So we're more interested in the other stuff. So I, I, I imagine that presented a bit of a challenge kind of striking that balance because... That's interesting, yes. That, that a sort of, uh, yeah, a future reader will be going, no, I want the dirt on uh, this, that, and that. <laughs> I want to know about the famous people. Yeah, that's very interesting. I hadn't thought of that, actually. Yeah. Um, but uh, ultimately, you are the readership. So we kind of, <laughs> we went for that. Yeah, absolutely. No, I and, and I love what you did with the Delta Quadrant stuff because, you know, it isn't just a retelling of stuff, but like we get what is advertised, a look inside the mind of Catherine Janeway. So you know, for example, her her deepening relationship with Kess, I thought was an interesting thread that I hadn't really considered when watching Voyager all that closely. But I, I like that that's a thread that winds its way through and and becomes more meaningful through through the book. I really took to Kess. I think it's a really lovely performance. I think it's almost a shame that they um, they didn't really find a way of of, of making that character work. Because um, I think it's a very tender and vulnerable performance, uh, so I really wanted to give Kez some good space. So good, I'm glad that worked. Yeah, and uh, and then of course, as as I maybe hinted at the beginning of the episode, things like Tuvix. I was really curious because you know that's a perennial internet debate that goes on. Was Janeway justified in what she did in the case of Tuvix and and that sort of thing? So. Were there any particular challenges when it came to kind of the more controversial Janeway moments like that? Absolutely. I mean, pretty much one of the first things we said was, what are we going to do about Tuvix? <laughs> <laughs> wow. yeah. And the other thing we said was, what are we going to do about Threshold? <laughs> Absolutely. So we kind of looked at these and, went and we, we kind of batted it around. I think we got Dayton Ward on this one as well. So um and Dayton kind of looked at Threshold and he went, oh, for God's sake, just plead the fifth, you know, make it classified. <laughs> <laughs> that solves a bit. Oh, that's some reason we can't. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And then um, Kat uh, um, Camacho absolutely uh, uh, solved, solved two things. She said, let's think of it like the trolley problem. Yeah. So it's a kind of greatest, uh, greatest good for the greatest number. So um, I think it's a, a solution that doesn't, you know, won't satisfy some people because, you know, they quite justifiably would say, well, you know, these were this was a independent person with an independent existence. You can't just go around murdering people. Um but that she that she makes a decision to um to save two lives rather than one. I think was the way we kind of cast it. So it's a it's it's a it's a tricky one. I think the ethics are not um you know not cut and dried. Uh and uh, I think she says, you know, you've, uh, I, 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 this is, this is my decision. I made it for these reasons. I understand why you might not agree. At the end of the day, I was in command. The buck stops with me. Um, so, um, hold me up in front of a tribunal when I get back. I think she's, you know, she's prepared to answer, uh, for it, which I like about Janeway that she will make a decision and say, well, you know, it's an imperfect world and, uh, you can take me to task if you don't like it. So, um, uh, so yeah, so those those were the two that we kind of picked out and went, what the are we going to do about these? 
And one we addressed and one we cheated. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. I did notice in the in the acknowledgments the the tip of the hat to Dayton Ward for niftily dodging the warp ten dilemma. So I, <laughs> I was curious about that. That's awesome. <laughs> so then in this book, you of course are being guided by what has been established on the show, both during the mission and those little hints of things that about her past life that you were able to sprinkle into her backstory. Were there other inspirations in writing Catherine Janeway that didn't come from the show, but maybe come from other novels or other sources or the encyclopedia or something like that, or even Mosaic, which was written by Jerry Taylor, who was the creator of Star Trek Voyager and also the showrunner? Yeah, and Mosaic was a really tricky one because I think what we found was that if we we looked at Mosaic, which I think is written during the run of the show, isn't it? So it's, right. it's published while the show is on. We looked at Mosaic and we said, if we take this as um, Holy Writ, there isn't a book. Yeah. So uh, we we what what our decision was was uh, we'll take what's on screen as canon, and whatever made it from Mosaic on screen will take as canon. And then from that, I was kind of given free reign to to write my own version of events. So I think this will be frustrating. This might be frustrating for readers who know Mosaic and are kind of going, oh, this is not familiar. This is not this. So as long as people don't come to this with an expectation that um, we're taking Mosaic as uh, as read, it's got very, it's obviously got a very strong case to be uh, canonical when it comes, you know, from the creator of the show and so on. Um but as long as people understand that, you know, we're, we're, this is a different book, you know, it's uh, it, 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 it would be it wouldn't be a it wouldn't be a book worth. Um, it would be covering the same ground if we kept Mosaic. And what we wanted to do was do was do our book. So um, so we, I read Mosaic and I kind of thought um, to see what what had come from it. And I thought I think there were a couple of things like names I took. But I did, I did very different things about sort of first boyfriends and um, relationships like that and that kind of thing. So I didn't feel we weren't bound by it, um, but we 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 tried to respect it, uh, and I hope we did. Yeah, I mean, even Mosaic, even though it was written by Jerry Taylor in 1996, Voyager was still going on, and as the series progressed, it actually contradicts some of the things in Mosaic anyway. Yeah, exactly that. So you're sort of in a tricky. You kind of go, well, ultimately we will never go. We're never going to get this to align. So let's just go back to the show and tell our story. Uh, and you tell a much better story that way because you tell you tell the story that comes from this moment and these people who are telling it because um, you know we're twenty odd years on now so um, so yeah so mosaic was there but uh, uh, we didn't feel bound by it I think was the main thing okay so here I just want to say this I read mosaic when it first came out I revisited it this mosaic novel as the audiobook i went back and listened to it after i read your book to compare the two so here we go i'm going to tell you they work together well and this is my reason how it works there's some things that are very similar in her past life and other things like you said love life names of those people may be different or certain situations played out a little differently but in mosaic all those flashbacks are dreams that she was having Um. and i'm thinking that uh, whatever this planet they went to visit that were that where she was all of a sudden getting these flashbacks and dreams weren't necessarily accurate. They were just okay. representations. 
Ah, so we can get it to work even better. Yeah, I just wanted you to know that, that that's how I got it to work. Excellent. Fantastic. (laughs) Well done. (laughs) Bruce kind of has that role on our show of like whenever, you know, the writers are somewhere, there's some thing that you could interpret as a continuity error bruce always has a really nice convoluted oh, way to the make great it unifier <laughs> absolutely <That's right. laughs> there's always a way to make it work there is actually yeah there's usually that usually ends up generating a story as well so uh mm-hmm, lovely yeah. he's now <laughs> good so in that case listeners, they do work together yes <laughs> i think there's at least 10 christopher l bennett novels that are based on a misspoken line or something like <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let a thousand fanfics blossom, as I always say. (laughs) Exactly. Absolutely. Well, one thing that uh, we've had a few listeners mention that they wanted us to ask about, and I I think I know the answer to this because the timing isn't, uh, it doesn't really work out, but we recently had the announcement that Catherine Janeway would be a main character on Star Trek Prodigy. Uh, I have to imagine there, there, you haven't had any kind of special insight into her role in that show or anything like that for this not this this book. No, not at all. No, the book was written. Um, I was writing this book at the end of the end of last year, so we it, it should have been out in the summer uh, for the for the Voyager uh, anniversary. So, um, but but obviously, you know, um, global events interfered. So, no, no, uh, I wrote it directly after I finished the Picard book. Uh, so that's that. You know, it's a year since I. Um, since I was finishing this up. Uh, so no, 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 no connection with that. But, you know, there we go. Just <laughs> away. <laughs> yeah. These yeah. things happen. These things happen. You know. yep. it's, Yet it's another a, thing. There's a lot of stuff out there now and you can't get it all to line up. You just can't. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's yet another thing we'll be able to like creatively work in. and, and Yeah, get Bruce it. onto it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <Exactly. laughs> this book is really about her early life being Captain of Voyager and what led to that. So anything that happens after that point would be in her next writing of her life, right? It's- Good point, actually. Yeah, very good point. So autobiography, volume two. Her life isn't over, right? Exactly that. (laughs) That works for me. There we go. We sorted it. Exactly. (laughs) This is the sorting out show. So (laughs) we have more to sort out here in a moment because the last chapter of this book is their return to the Alpha Quadrant. And everybody has always said, oh, if we could only see what happened when they got home. This last chapter addresses that. And it also differs from the novel verse continuity that we have with the Simon Schuster books. So tell us about how you approached setting up where each character lands. I just really, I, I thought what would be the, uh, 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 in some cases I thought, well, what would be the funniest thing I could do? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, and I love the idea that that Tom just jacks it all in and becomes a, uh, a house husband and a, a writer for soap operas. <laughs> because of Captain Proton. <laughs> yeah, exactly that. Exactly. He just, that's what he likes doing. And I think he, I think he owns a little diner and uh, just has a very laid back kind of, uh, you know, he's, he's not a Starfleet at all at the end of the day. He really, really isn't. Um, and it's Balana who goes off and, you know, becomes the, 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 the great Starfleet captain and, and does all these sorts of things promote harry like instantly <laughs> yes and uh he sort of becomes a really solid you know really solid starfleet guy um very happily married and all these sorts of things 
So I just sort of went and went through them and I kind of imagined that the doctor would become a sort of um uh almost like a, a, a like a playboy, a man about town, you know. <laughs> He'd embrace the celebrity and he'd he'd love it and because he'd love the attention. But it would also bring sort of um attention to his cause as well. Uh mm-hmm. so uh I, I you know, I imagined him in shades driving a convertible and this kind of thing. I just uh that was really good fun. Uh and then I think there were there were people who were who were obviously gonna have more difficult time. Seven would have more difficult time. Of course we hadn't hooked up with her um her Picard continuity um uh when we were writing this. Um, so seven, it would obviously more dif- be more difficult. And um, who else? Who, 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 who have I forgotten? Uh, <laughs> there are lots of others. Uh, Chakotay. Uh, Chakotay, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I never found that relationship with seven remotely plausible, I'm afraid. So I, I just kind of nixed that. I, I saw it as maybe a, a necessary stage in her healing or something like that. Um, because I, 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 I mean, I personally, I, I think Janeway, and Chakotay is the obvious sort of um, partnership from this. They are, they completely understand each other. They're very simpatico. They they seem to be attracted to each other. Um, I like how he travels, but yet he still finds the time on a weekly basis to still visit with her. Yeah, <laughs> and he likes her dog. Which yes, is- <laughs> that's important. Very important. <laughs> Very, very important. Can I just have a shout out for absolutely my favourite thing about this book, which is uh, um, the pictures in the middle, uh, which I think are absolutely beautiful. But my very favourite one is uh, the picture of Molly, uh, where she's uh, she's out of focus. Do you have you have the edition with the pictures in? So I don't know. I don't know how well this will show. So she kind of. Oh yeah, there she is. Yeah, there oh, she wow, is. Yeah. She sort of looms up out on out on the page. So the dogs are very important. And um, uh, Chakotay loves her dog. So I, I, where I wanted to leave them in the book was sort of just about to take that step, which they would never have done on the ship because the focus on the ship was getting the ship and the people home. And they've kind of delayed this. Um, and, um, and, and, and now maybe they're going to give it a shot. So, um, so that was my feeling of where, of where they would be at the end. Mm-hmm. I think as most people like it. I know people are quite divided on this. So, uh, <laughs> um, like anything on Voyager, but that this is just my reading, and there are there are lots of different versions out there. So, <laughs> yeah, no, I I felt this was a this made a lot of sense. Like I I really enjoy the Simon and Schuster uh, post Voyager continuity. Kirsten Beyer I think has done an amazing job, but as far as realism goes, I felt like this really rang true. I especially liked that like a majority, I, th- I think it was a majority of the crew resigned from Starfleet afterwards because this was such a singular important event. And I could imagine, you know, being in Starfleet afterwards, just, you know, going about your duty would just kind of have a lack of maybe, maybe not a, maybe not lackluster, but it just would be so divorced from their experience in the Delta Quadrant that people wouldn't just be able to cope with that. And also that they've missed the Dominion War. Mm-hmm. Uh, so everyone else in Starfleet has come through this major experience. It will be like, it, it, you know, I thought of it, it's like um, uh, Shackleton's men uh, sitting on that island uh, when the boat goes down. And when they come back, World War One is underway. Yeah. And yeah. how do you, so imagine if, the, you know, if you'd come back and World War One had happened, it's uh, how, how do you, how do you match up that disconnect? 
So they would be coming back from this extraordinary experience and all the all the people that they know would have these sort of hollow-eyed faces of veterans of the Romulan Cardassian fronts, you know? It's not going to be the same Starfleet. And and you wouldn't, I, I don't think you'd be able, reason, I don't actually think you'd be able to fit in very well. Because mm-hmm. you'd be coming back going, we've had great adventures, we've had a marvellous time, oh, it's a bit scary here, but and everyone else is kind of like, oh, we've been... <laughs> We've been slogging away against Jem Hadar for four years, you know, so um, it yeah. wouldn't work. So um, very Absolutely. different. So uh, a little bit of uh, realism, but um, yeah. And then Voyager was its own thing. Um, you know, it would be it would be that special moment in their lives. Um, also, you just might not want to be on a starship again. Right. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you just want to kind of be home and maybe do something different because you've been yeah. living on for seven years. Do you know what? Um, maybe you won't go into space for a bit. <laughs> Take so, a break at least. Yeah. And the other thing I really wanted to do was, was you know, I, I thought it would be interesting to have a little bit of tension over the McKee um, that, that some people, yeah. uh, some of the brass are not willing to forgive. Um, and I think I have Janeway saying, well, okay, but you're going to have to find me. Because I'm not having it, not after seven years. Um, mm-hmm. So she uh, she sort of puts her, and of course she's the big star of the moment. So that she absolutely calls their bluff on that, and I think it's sort of her, yeah, it, you know, it's a proper good thing she does there. No, we're not trying these people. Get out of town. It's over. <laughs> and the keys wiped out. You know, deal with it. <laughs> Suck it up, lads. <laughs> absolutely. She comes good for those crew members. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, I like that you mentioned the Dominion War because that was something I noticed kind of threaded through the novel, the the regret that Janeway feels for, you know, missing that and, and not being there when Starfleet maybe needed them, that kind of thing. And e- even just little hints like the uh, the incident for which she's dressed down by by Tuvok. She keeps saying like that would never happen now because of the Dominion War and the increased security and that sort of thing. And I really got this impression and I know this is this is such a, a recurring thing in literature and television and movies in this era. But it really felt like there was kind of a post 9-11 vibe to the Federation at this time. Yeah. Uh, and that and that they've missed it. They, they've not been there. So that they sort of are coming almost back from a, a more innocent time. And I guess, uh, you know, I, I I write a lot of DS9, so uh, it, it's that timeline that I, I, I'm very sort of deeply and closely involved in. So uh, as I'm watching Voyager and re-watching it, I'm going, well, what's, hang on, haven't they just had the uh, the battle in the Chintoka system? Or <laughs> Hasn't Bases Ed just fallen? And then they're all kind of blithe. They're going, we're home, guys. They're going, oh, it's, we're not doing too well back here in the Alpha Quadrant. You know? Right. And they want to turn around and go back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, with the Ks on. Um, so, um, so, yeah, that would, that was sort of my feel that they would, they would come back to a, to a different place. Yeah, it would be, it would be like missing 9 11 and then, um, you know, you've been, you've been, in a hermitage or something or um, they've missed something important uh and that they they they'll never get that back well i mean i thought this was a wonderful novel i really enjoyed it anybody who's a jane wayne fan has to has to read this book absolutely yeah so, <laughs> i really nerve-wracking. when it's not your you feel it's not your show in a way i feel deep space nine is my show and you know i've watched voyager and i, I know it very well and 
all this sort of thing. But I, I know for some people it's, it's their DS9, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. So, uh, yeah. So I didn't want to sort of, um, I wanted people who, who, who feel that passionately about the show to, to feel it was a book for them as well. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this real quick. If, if you had to write another autobiography on a Star Trek character, who would it be besides Garrick? Because I know your answer would be Garrick. <laughs> well, somebody's done that, so that's not. Uh, that's yeah. true too. <laughs> uh, that's already been done. Who would I do? That has to be Bashir. <laughs> oh, that would be a good one. That would be I terrific. Well, yeah, because you know all the all the interesting stuff about the augments and um, 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 and how their relationship actually did work. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I have a feeling it's connected Deep Space Nine in some way. Kira might be uh, very interesting. That's what I was thinking. Too. I would love a Kira autobiography. A Bashir one would actually be really interesting as well, though, yeah. too, because in universe, there would be a lot of interest in, you know, this genetically engineered person who's made it, you know, who's gotten away with it in quote marks or whatever. But, you know, that also, would be an interesting story. Go- I could just go full on with the Garrett Bashir slash as well. So. Absolutely. Damn <laughs> well putting that down on the page. Definitely. So, but I, I think Kira would be a really good, uh, you know, how do you go from grubbing around for roots in the hills to, uh, uh, you know, being, a, being a, a senior military person? That's a really interesting. I don't spend much time on Bajor in my imagination uh, unless I'm with the Cardassians. So, um to explore Bajor as its own place and, and transitioning to um, being a member of the Federation, those kinds of decisions. Mm-hmm. I quite like the Bajoran politics, the early seasons. So, um, Oh yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm quite into that. I know, I know they kind of, you know, thought it didn't work, but that kind of stuff's my jam. So, oh, so man. Kira, the, uh, yeah, Kira I'd do. Yeah. Um, the quite. circle trilogy, I load up every once in a while and just binge that. Yeah, I love those trilogy. episodes. Yeah, yeah, proper good stuff, isn't it? Yeah. And in the back of my mind, I'm going, I wonder what, wonder what Garrick's doing there. Did you do all this? <laughs> so, uh, yeah. <laughs> but Bayshore and Cardassia are locked in that sort of uh, relationship, aren't they? So, um, yeah. Yeah. So, Kira would be my, would be my answer. Okay. I'm, I'm going to petition for that. <laughs> good. <laughs> petition hard. <laughs> Well, that being said, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. And we enjoyed the book. And if people Absolutely. want to find you online, where can they find you? Oh, well, uh, they can find me on Twitter, uh, at Una McCormack, where I'm, I'm usually being cross about something. Usually, I don't know. Uh, it can be anything. It can be anything from an episode of Star Trek to the news to Strictly Come Dancing. But I'm usually being a bit grumpy. Um, but in a fun way. <laughs> <laughs> Well, people flee. And then my website is unamacormack.co.uk. So there's there's plenty of stuff on there. But Twitter is where is where people will find me. So uh, that's the best place. Okay. And anything new that you're working on that's coming out soon? Uh, I have a Doctor Who book coming out uh, very soon now in December. So there's a big Doctor Who thing going on called Time Lord Victorious. And there's loads of comic strips and audio dramas and all sorts of stuff. Uh, and there are two novels. Uh, the first one's already come out. Mine is the second part of this duology. It's called All Flesh is Grass, uh, and it's out in December. Uh, it's a follow-up to um, my friend Steve Cole's novel, uh, The Night, the Fool, and the Dead. So some Doctor Who stuff. Uh, and then I'm working on other stuff, uh, but I can't tell you what that is yet. <laughs> Excellent. <Okay. laughs> She's like Garrick. 
Oh, <laughs> Secrets. He doesn't get to visit Cardassia when it looks like this. <laughs> it's only when it's in ruins he's allowed back. So uh, one up on him. <laughs> that is true. Has he heard me? <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for joining us. And Dan, where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter at Kurtrats. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. Just Star Trek backwards. Uh, you can find me on youtube.com slash Kurtrats Productions, making videos all about Star Trek and sometimes other franchises that start with Star as well. So, yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> and you can find me occasionally on the Star Wars Report podcast and uh, this last episode I should be on. And uh, also I'm on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. Uh, don't tweet a whole lot, a little, but I am reading Una's grumpy tweets. Those, those are quite <laughs> fun to enjoy. So, so that wraps up the show. Una, thank you again for joining us. And you know what we say at the end of every episode of Positively Track? Go on. We say, stay positive. Stay positive. <laughs> there you go. Excellent. And follow us at Positively Trek on Twitter. <laughs> Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.